everyone. I'm Jen Garrett and welcome to the Move the Ball podcast. On this podcast, we are going to talk about how to succeed in business and in life by putting winning strategies into practice to help you advance faster. So if you're looking to move forward and reach that next level of greatness, then you are in the right place. Now get ready. Let's suit up, show up and move the ball. Hey, everyone, it's Jen Garrett here. I'm so excited to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also make sure to leave us a review. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Now, today, I've got a very special guest. So inside the huddle with us and ready to help us to move the ball is Mr. Jedediah Collins. Now, Jed is a former NFL player. He played college football at Washington State, ended up playing for a number of NFL teams. We'll talk about that. And then after football, he has been an Amazon bestselling author. He's a podcaster, and we're going to talk about all the great things he's doing in the financial space. So that's all I'm going to say for now. We're going to get into the show. So without further ado, Jed, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me in. Uh, excited to be here and appreciate the opportunity to share my message with your audience. Well, thank you. We're glad to have you inside the huddle with us today. So let's start off our conversation where I ask a lot of professional athletes to kind of talk to us about how they got into the sport that they played professionally. So in your case, tell us, how did you get into football? What excited you about the game? That kind of thing. Uh, so I have kind of an interesting story. I come from a basketball family. Both my dad uh, played in Division One college, got drafted in the NBA, ABA. Both my brothers played Division I college basketball. I was the odd duck. I was a little shorter, a little stockier than, than my brothers. But basketball was truly my first love and passion. It wasn't really until high school where coach, a mentor, set me down and said, where exactly do you think you're going to go for basketball? And at six foot one, about 230 pounds, my options were pretty limited. So he gave me a pair of cleats, told me to go out for the football team. My mom was very hesitant. She never let me play tackle football in middle school or growing up. It, it was an interesting transition, but it was one of those games that, you know, once I fell into football, it, it really unleashed a side of me that I didn't know was there. And it allowed me to have an opportunity to grow into the man I am today because football is truly one of the few sports that teaches you so much about your yourself and your mental aptitude. So football has become, you know, my, my passion. It, it became my game, but basketball will always be my first love. And, you know, losing to my brothers on the, the court in the backyard uh, will be kind of my, my upbringing. Okay. So first off, um, I'm going to ask you, what position did you play basketball then? So I was a, a little bit of a, a swing swing man. So I was thick, uh, according to basketball standards. So I could go mm -hmm. down low, but I was also, I could get out there and run the point guard. So I would say my natural position was a, a small forward or a power forward. And I, you know, I'm proud to say I actually was the CIF player of the year, my senior year when we won the championship. So I had some uh, basketball skills as well back in the day. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm going to take us down a small basketball path real quickly, and we're going to come back to football because I'm going to okay. share a story that I don't think anybody listening to this podcast knows about me. So I played basketball, point guard. And when uh -huh. I was in college, I didn't play uh, as a student athlete. I just played in intramurals. I played in a men's league. So I was the only female that played in a men's league. And my team always won, um, or we always made it to the championship every 
season, every semester. This one year, we had the opportunity to play. This is when the ABL was around the Women's Basketball League. And uh, so we had the opportunity to play in an exhibition game for uh, against the, the Long Beach Stingrays at the time. And we got our butts handed to us. <laughs> it was 101 to 71, I think, or 77, 101 to 77. This was a long time ago. So I'm trying to recall, but uh, it was an interesting experience. So two, uh, people know that I love football, but I am also a basketball person mm-hmm. as well. So anyway, back to you. Just wanted to throw that in. No, that was you great think about it. <laughs> All right. So basketball first love, but you went down the football path. Talk to us about, so you did well in high school football. You're playing college football. Talk to us about what that experience was like. And also you mentioned earlier, there's so many lessons that we learn from the sport of football and there's coaches and, and people who are mentoring us and guiding us along the way, giving us some of those lessons to think about. Can you share with us maybe a lesson or two that a coach or a player or a teammate shared with you that kind of stuck with you when you're in college? Absolutely. So I, I actually have a, a series of behaviors I stole from veterans along the way. As you mentioned, I got cut 12 times. So I was a journeyman um, going in and out of NFL lockers. And while at first it, it, and it always is a shot to the heart and your dream is over, I began to force myself to see what I could take, what was going to you know, uh, stick with me throughout my life, and even though I had to leave that team uh, with nothing more than a free sweatshirt. So I call it rookie to veteran. And one of the principles within that, we begin with the be a pro mindset and the ability to be confident, to build trust and then to create value. But I vividly remember possibly, you know, the simplest and yet most profound behavior I I stole was from a 15 year linebacker. I ran into him in Kansas City. I noticed it first out on the practice field. You know, we would run 40 yards. He'd run 45. We'd run 50. He'd run 55. We'd go into the weight room. We'd be getting a set in at 225 and we'd do a set of 10. He would even encourage us. You know, he was a great leader. And then he would be the last one in our group to lay down. He would do slide on the two and a half pounds, making it a set of 230. And instead of 10, he would do 11. And so finally, you know, one day I just asked him, I was like, hey, five pounds. Like, well, what is five pounds really going to do? And he smiled. He said, look around. Every guy in here is younger than me cheaper than me, healthier than me. Every guy in here is here to steal my job, to take you know my profession away. The only reason after 15 years I'm still here competing is because I come in here every day and I steal inches. Each and every day I look for just a subtle little inch I can steal because I know that an inch will lead to a yard, a yard to a first down, a first down to a touchdown, and a touchdown leads to wins. And That was such an impactful thought for me as a young man, as a young player, to really review my days and to ask myself if I stole an inch on the competition. And it just so happened that, you know, my position was a fullback. I was a lead blocking fullback. And my measurement was a six inch battle. In my collisions, if I can move my opponent backwards six inches, that was declared a plus or a win for me on that play. And so I set out on a mission that, you know, Monday through Saturday, I would steal an inch a day so I could walk out onto the field on Sunday and and win that six inch battle. And it it was truly a life changing event and something that I take and steal that behavior in in my marriage and my fatherhood 
in you know my work and everything I do, I try to really maintain that mindset of a game of inches. I really like that because I think when you're playing professional football, there are so many people that are competing for your spot and you can get cut in an instant, right? Essentially. Um, Whereas in the working world, you're not necessarily, it's not quite the same. It's not like you've got five other people that could be on the roster waiting to take your job and your boss is going to cut you tomorrow if you drop the ball on a task. But I like the mentality of always looking how you can improve and get an inch over your competition, whether that's your teammates or someone else in another department so that you can move up, right? And continue to advance your career and grow. Because I think it's easier for people to become complacent off the field because you don't have all these other people that are just vying and waiting for mm-hmm. you to mess up. You know what I mean? And so I, I really like that. And I think it's a good reminder for all of us to not become complacent for one and to always focus on how we can be an inch, a yard better than we were the day before. And I, I love that designation because, you know, competition, it, it, it terrifies most people and it should, it's supposed to, but it's how you respond to that competition. And, and professional sports is interesting because, each year, the, the veteran is supposed to prepare the, the rookie a little bit more and more. And in essence, they're preparing them to replace them. And so that it, it immediately has this counterintuitive messaging to it. But the, the true great ones and great leaders, business it, in any aspect, welcome that competition because of that old saying that, you know, iron sharpens iron. And if if we look at it in that sense, if we truly want to be the best version of ourselves, we're going to need things to motivate us and to push us. Um, and I, I'll tell you, showing up uh, at breakfast at a hotel and sitting down with 10 other you know, young men in my situation, in my shoes, and knowing only one of us was going to get a job that day because we were there for a workout uh, you know, in any of the 32 NFL teams, that immediately sets you in a path to say, I have to be at my best. I, I know there's only one you know, ticket to, to where I want to go. And these other nine people are here to vie for that. And it's going to be an uncomfortable breakfast, but I know I got to bring my stuff today. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I really like like that. And I think that I'm really glad you brought this up. And I hope that this is a reminder for everyone to always look at how you can be above your competition. You don't have nine other people that you're sitting around the table at breakfast thinking, oh, one of us is going to survive today. The rest of, of us are not. But it's still an important lesson that we should all implement into our own lives. And even when I was working in the corporate world, I think that's one thing that, that worked really well for me. And I accelerated, accelerated my career very quickly because I was always looking for how could I differentiate myself and bring more value to the team, to the discussion. So I always look to learn different things. I have seven degrees, so I'm crazy for one. But um, what I brought to every team that I worked for was I brought a different perspective and I was able to ask questions that other people hadn't thought of. And so I was helping to make the team better by bringing this other skill set. And you don't have to have seven degrees or two or three, but you need to know what skill sets you bring to the table that make you better and help make your team better. I could not have said it any better. I think the truest definition of a pro at, at any facet or any member of a team is, do you add value? And, and when we say that is, you know, in the athletic realm, it's why do I know your name? 
I know your name because you make plays. Plays to us is the value add. And yes, as you look around as your team, each one, each member sitting at the table should add value. And if they don't know where that value is, if you don't know where that value is for yourself or for them, then you have a, a something that you need to discuss and you need to bring up in conversation. Absolutely. So you mentioned bouncing from from different team to team, and there's this sense of rejection that goes mm-hmm. along with that, right? And we all face rejection in our lives in different ways and different forms. But how would you mentally bounce back from you know learning that you were you know not going to be a part of this team and then moving on to the next one? Talk to us about that process for you. Yeah, so it, it absolutely shakes you to the core. It, it brings up questions you never want to ask. And it's really the essence of why I call myself a great failure, because I was able to take those losses and continue to progress. And so it, it kind of identified itself to me growing up playing, you know, the game we were talking about earlier, basketball with my brothers. We'd go play, and my dad created a game called King for a Day. And we'd play in the backyard, one-on-one basketball, and the winner got to walk off and boss the other two brothers around. Uh, you know, go give me a drink of water, go take out the trash, all these kinds of little things. And I remember vividly playing hundreds, thousands of times in the backyard and only winning twice. And so early on, I started to realize I knew I was going to lose. I knew I was going to technically fail, but was I going to let it defeat me? And so my mindset shifted from trying to just win to trying to improve, finding success. And success to me means I walked off the court better than I did the day before. It wasn't an external measurement. It was an internal measurement. And that is really where I started to mindset shift. And I needed to call upon that mindset as I went through the NFL and started to say each and every team that cut me, I failed. But that wasn't the end. I only end when I choose. The game is only over when I stop going. And so my mindset was, did I leave this place having gotten him better? Did I leave this place and say it was successful for my journey? Perhaps it wasn't the ending I wanted. Perhaps I wasn't proving exactly what I was intending. But if I left a little bit further down the road, I knew I was closer to what my goal was. And so by the time I started to do that, by the time I started to steal from each and every veteran that I was around, that is how I would bounce back. I would have to convince myself because the measurement, the external people just told you you weren't good enough. You failed. And if you take that feedback and you let it defeat you, then your game is over. If you take that feedback as failure and let it improve you, then it's just starting. And I would leave each town hoping and waiting for another call because I knew I was a few steps closer to what I ultimately wanted. Gotcha. That's great. So let me ask you, you were in the league for for a number of years. And was there a moment or obviously these events of going from team to team, you learned from that, you grew from that, you focused on being a little bit better for the next team. Was there another moment or something that happened while you were in the NFL that really helped you to kind of shift your life or to to help you focus on what you were going to do after football? Oh, yeah. So my moment was my rookie year. It was, it was my first paycheck. I went undrafted, so I didn't get a big paycheck up front, but I got activated and I got my first couple game checks. And I'm ashamed to say, and now I'm proud to say, I spent that check before it really even hit my bank account. 
You know, the, the check came in before I could even get it to my bank. It was already done. It was gone. Now, full disclosure, I ended up buying an engagement ring. My wife and I are happily married after 10 plus years. So it was a good investment. But I'll tell her to this day, it was a very poor financial decision. And it woke me to the reality. You know, a night or two after that decision, I woke up in sweats and knots and just uncomfortable knowing the statistics, knowing as an undrafted player, I was more than likely to end up without having anything to show for the game or for the quote unquote dream I was chasing. And it challenged my relationship with money. My father is an attorney. My mother was a stay-at-home mom and she taught me love. My father taught me discipline, but neither one of them understood the language of money. And my relationship with it was the only relationship I knew. Make money, spend money. I was a spender. I saw it on a day-to-day basis. And it wasn't until I started to do some research, read some personal finance books by the gurus we all know and love, that I realized I needed to become a saver. I, you, don't, you don't just go spend on an engagement ring. You save up for an event like that. So I started to look at money through a month-to-month, maybe year-to-year time frame. But it wasn't until a mentor challenged me to go get my CFP, Certification in Financial Planning, that I studied for each and every off-season that I really came to understand my relationship with money had to become an investor. So I went from spendor to savor to investor. And what type of or you are depends on how long you see money. So investors see money in a decade to decade time frame. And at 22, at 25, that's a really challenging viewpoint to have. But that was the moment where I got my paycheck and I went on a journey of knowledge. I went on a journey of education that changed my life. And as my knowledge and education grew, more and more people in the locker room, more and more family members, more and more just people started to ask me questions around money. And I came to realize this was a language that it wasn't just the big dumb jocks that didn't understand. Nobody understood money. Nobody was talking it and nobody had an idea of how to build a strategy. So that one paycheck that I maybe made a mistake, probably made the best decision of my life on, really alerted me and woke me up to the passion and the dream that I'm chasing today. Gotcha. And I think that's great that you learned that lesson so early in your career, because that's something that a lot of people don't learn, not just professional athletes, but everybody really doesn't understand the basics and mechanics of finances. I was very fortunate that my dad taught me it very young. Uh, So I was always a saver. I became an investor at 19 years old. I started investing my my paycheck, started saving, Mm -hmm. very focused. I have an MBA in finance now, so I'm all out. Numbers and spreadsheets and stuff, but yeah. um, but it's uh, that is something I'm so grateful for that I had my dad that could teach me that. I'm yeah. glad that you brought that up because so many people don't. And you and I have talked about this before about how you know young people need to have this education. I shared how my son had taken a personal finance class in high school, which was I thought fantastic. But there's so many people that still don't have great financial literacy. Oh, the masses, the majority, you even saying your father taught you these skills and these lessons, you are in the vast minority of people who have this conversation at home and and education doesn't really have anything to do with it. It is truly this, this language of the wealthy. And so as we realize that, you know, you look at the, the socioeconomic gaps uh, in our community today, and I, I argue a lot of it has to do with a, a lack of understanding money. 
And we have not created a course or a class that is going to teach the masses. And that was something that I wanted that rookie year when I went and started seeking it myself. Um, but I also wanted something that spoke to me as a beginner, spoke to me in a common language and in, in maybe a stories and something that I would walk away and say, hey, they weren't impressing me with how smart they were or, or diving into derivatives. They were just talking to me about the basics of beginning a plan and of changing my future and changing my life. Um, and so that that class your son got to take, he is, again, very fortunate because that is not the average high school experience. And that's kind of what Money Vehicle, the, the company that we've started, is set out to change, is to begin to provide that course as a requirement in, in college, in high school, as a requirement for people as they begin to, to seek financial knowledge. Yeah, so talk to us a little bit more about your money vehicle curriculum. Can you give us just a, a little bit more depth in some of the things that you talk about? I would love to. So money vehicle addresses the first 10 questions on a financial journey. Everything from why do you care about money today, how pensions have gone extinct, and you have to sit in the driver's seat of your own money vehicle, all the way up to what is your best advantage in using money uh, in a Roth account, whether 401k or IRA. So that's chapter 10, and we build into that. I reference the idea of use money, U-S-E. That's one of our slogans. We mean understand, S, strategize, and E, be efficient. So U-S-E, we want you to use money. But with that, so many finance books focus on investing. I love investing. It's the you know sexy roar from the engine that drives your money vehicle. But there are so many other facets to money that we need to focus on. So throughout those 10 topics, we do address investments as one of them. But we also go through banking, through credit cards, through cash management, through cybersecurity, insurance, taxes, um, through the understanding of the eighth wonder of the world, compound interest. And we really even dive into the, the mental side of it and how to create behaviors because cash management is building routines. I don't use the word budget. I feel like budget is very limiting. But when we look at our habits, how are we managing our dollars? How are we making money our employee and not just simply going to work for money. So one of the biggest criteria and, and differences in the money vehicle course is the action items. Each chapter comes with a different set of actions that you are going to take to build out and prepare your own personal financial plan. Whether you're a 15-year-old or a 25-year-old, this is the beginning of owning your financial future. Gotcha. And so I'm going to ask you a question just off the cuff here. What are your thoughts on, because we've seen over the last five, seven years, some new products out in the, the banking market space, teen checking accounts or you know where they have debit cards. And so teenagers are, are getting the opportunity to... Mm -hmm take control or better understand their finances. And so I was one that was all over that. I'm like, yes, let me, I want my kids to understand what that's like to have visibility into an account, to learn how to manage what funds they have in that account. What are your thoughts on teenagers having debit cards? I think it's going to become an essential piece to the puzzle. You know, the, the piggy bank, the balance of checkbook, those are outdated. Uh, our, our money is digital. And uh, the sooner young people can understand the power 
of a debit card. And I would argue the power of a credit card, obviously they can't get it till a certain age point. They are going to need to be introduced to this topic uh, because we are, are now banking on them being able to graduate college or graduate high school, get their first jobs, move out on their own, and then set up all these structures. And much like your rookie year in professional sports, you just get hit with a wave of too much. So yeah. I believe if we can begin to introduce students and young people into not only what these products are, but how to use them the most effectively, it will really have a compounding effect in their life because as different events come, they will be at least more prepared or have had the conversations before they happen, not after they happen. Absolutely. So you're on this journey of you know getting these the money vehicle curriculum into schools. Um, you've got your book, right? Your money vehicle as well. One of the things that I talk about in my Move the Ball book is this concept of getting the next first down, and it's about incremental movement down the field to get into the end zone versus throwing Hail Marys, right? So in our lives, we have to kind of plan out what are those mini milestones. So my question for you is what's your next first down with the money vehicle workshops, your money vehicle book, where are you looking to go? So my Super Bowl is a million people. I want a million people to go through the course. I want a million Roth accounts to be opened by young people and young professionals. The next first down for me is is introducing it to groups. Right now we have athletic departments, we have finance clubs, we have non-business clubs and groups who see financial literacy as essential. We have high schools. So my next first down is where is that next group um, that I can introduce this course to, that we can do it as a unifying team event or individually on demand on your own. So this fall, I'm excited because Money Vehicle came out at an interesting time in our world. The book came out the week we were told to go home for quarantine. Uh, the, the video and virtual course is coming out the first semester. Most schools are going to be based virtually. So if there are any young professionals I would aim at our ages 15 to 25 who are looking for a productive way to add something to their resume this fall because Money Vehicle is one of the first financial literacy courses that ends in a certification and one that is not just educational, it is empowering. You don't get certified until you show us what actions you took from the course. I think that is our next first down is, you know, we have had hundreds of students go through the course already. But how do we get to the, you know, the next thousand? How do we scale this movement uh, and begin to make money not a taboo topic, but a, a convenient, friendly conversation? The, the best feedback I've gotten in the last few years of, of kind of spreading this message is from families, from parents who email me and say, let me tell you what my, my son or daughter just came and asked me. Well, let me tell you about our discussion at the dinner table. And that is the most rewarding for me outside of students that have gone through the course now bringing me to their groups or to their schools and saying, I know my community needs this. Here is a valuable resource because it helped me so much. Those are the first downs for me is, is having receive some of the feedback, but truly finding the next group of audience because they are the next people we want to light on fire and empower to go act. Got it. And share with us, how can people learn more about your programs? You have a website that uh, people can go to? 
Absolutely. So obviously on social media, my hashtag is fullback of finance. So on Instagram or t- Twitter, uh, we are on TikTok under money vehicle. So, so go and follow us there. So what I would love is for anybody interested to go to yourmoneyvehicle.com forward slash drive, yourmoneyvehicle.com forward slash drive, and look up and start taking the course. It's $100. Uh, there's 35 five-minute videos, and you really get the accountability of where and how to empower yourself. If you'd like to check a little bit more about me, jedediahcollins.com. We'll give you a little more resource into who I am, but I love engaging on social media. We've connected many times over LinkedIn. Seek it out. I would welcome questions and thoughts. We're already building level two. If this is level one, we have level two coming. So um, again, yourmoneyvehicle.com forward slash drive to get to the video course and to get certified. Great. And we'll be sure to put all of those links in the show notes, your social handle, so people can follow you, can check out your curriculum and uh, hopefully sign up for the course. I know it's packed with so much great financial information. So what I want to do now is I want to take you through my two minute drill where I'm going to ask you seven questions. Are you ready? I am ready. And as a fullback, I didn't get to do many two-minute drills, so I'm excited. (laughs) Well, I don't know how excited this one is, but here we go. All right. The first question is, what is your favorite food? Gumbo. Uh, My dad's family is from Louisiana. So gumbo, seafood gumbo to me gives me family and gives me a great meal. Great. Okay. How about what is your favorite movie? Favorite movie of all time? Uh, you know, again, I'm going to lean on the family piece. Uh, my brothers and I watch movies over and over. And so a, a silly one called Night at the Roxbury. To this day, we could quote every line of that movie. And as we'd shoot hoops in the backyard, that was often our conversations. Gotcha. Okay, great. How about what is your favorite professional sports team or who is your favorite professional sports team? You know, I, I got to give the Houdat Nation a little love. New Orleans changed my life. My my second daughter's name's Perry Nola in representation of, of New Orleans. But I grew up and will ever be always be a Lakers fan. We've been in half the NBA finals, so it's good to be champions. <laughs> there you go. My son's a Lakers fan too. So yeah. I'm from Chicago, some Bulls fan. Was a 76ers fan for a little bit when Allen Iverson was coming out of Georgetown. All right. but, uh, but I'm back to the Bulls. So um, <laughs> anyway, all right. How about next question is, what is the best piece of advice that you've been given by a coach or a mentor? I had a, a coach tell me a, a quote that was, each man is better than you in some way. From that, you should learn from them. Uh, it's a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote, and it has stuck with me to this day as just something impactful. It's kind of the foundation of why I enjoy people, and why I'm curious in people is because if I have that mindset of learning from them, it, it is a truly a conversation that I'm interested in them, but also in you know how they are going to stay with me as we separate and leave. So it was great advice and it's so great quote. Yeah, I think that I've not heard that one before, but I do think it's a good good piece of advice to keep in your mind that uh, you can always learn from people that you interact with and they've got, they're better than you in certain ways. So make sure that you have that growth mindset and look to learn from them. And they, they need to update it. It should be each man or woman or each person. So we'll, we'll put the 2020 spin on it. There you go. Yes, absolutely. All right. I'm going to flip it now and ask, what is the best piece of advice that you would give someone? 
the best piece of advice I would give, it would have to do with my passion. You know, and it's the title of the book, Your Money Vehicle. Why we called it your is because you have to take ownership of it. But the idea I want to translate is the money vehicle piece. I think for too long, we've focused on money as the destination. Money is not our destination. Money is simply a tool or a vehicle that is going to take us where we want to go. And this mindset shift really is going to pertain to how you view not just your paycheck, but your job, your life, your purpose. And to see a million dollars is is a great goal, but it is not what you want. You want the lifestyle or the impact that a million dollars brings. Start to focus on those results, not necessarily just the financial result. And so that's that's advice I love to share with young people is see money as something you are going to use to get somewhere else. And let's discuss more about what that somewhere else looks like. Absolutely. Yeah. So being being an attorney, I mean, it's a it's a well-paid profession. And when I left my corporate job, people were like, well, why are you why are you leaving? Don't you make good money? And I'm like, it's not about the money. Yeah. You know, it's about I really want to go in and pursue growing my move the ball brand. And, you know, yes, I could stay, but I, I was just ready to move. It was time, you know, to focus on something different. And so um, you're, I completely agree with you that money is not uh, what we need to focus on. We need to focus on our purpose mm-hmm. and money can help us to fulfill that purpose and to further it. But we shouldn't focus on just a financial outcome as being a measure of success. Absolutely. My next question is, what is something that most people don't know about you? I would say two things. One, I'm an avid journaler. I love writing. Uh, Sitting by myself and and really jotting down kind of my subconscious is truly one of my most enjoyable times. The other one, because I look the way I do, my dad is Creole. So I grew up believing I was half black, half white. You know, with genealogies and tests these days, you can define exactly how much of whatever it is you are. Mm -hmm. But growing up, looking the way I did and having that mindset always gave me a very interesting perspective on race and on racial kind of prejudices, even being told, you know, I'm not black, my dad's not black and all those kinds of things. But something I, I always, you know, and sadly have had to kind of open up and share with people after some very inappropriate comments uh, but something that, yeah, most people don't know is that I'm I'm part black and I, I definitely have that piece of my family as really my stronghold because we are much closer to them than my mom's side. The last question is, if you could be any superhero, who would it be and why? This one's really hard for me. Nothing pops to mind right off the bat. But I grew pretty decent mutton chops while I was playing football. And so everybody would call me Wolverine. Uh, and the ability to heal myself, especially after, you know, 15 years of playing football would be pretty tremendous. So I'm going to go with Wolverine. Gotcha. Okay, great answer. So as we close today's show, any last thoughts for our listeners? My last thought is to continue to move the ball. I, I love that thought, that concept to see each day of how you are going to grow and and get to where you want to be and who you want to be. It is so encouraging and endearing meeting people like yourself who are so like-minded. And my last thought would to just be, you know, continue to learn and thank you for the opportunity to let me learn from you and steal some of uh, your success today. 
Well, thank you so much for being on the show. That's what it's all about, helping each other, sharing with each other, learning from each other, right? And thank you to all of those who have listened to today's episode. Until next time, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.jenniferagarrett.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.